if you can use your mental Rolodex and you go back to ancient history to Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. Man, this dude was the OG savage. This guy was wild in how he was able to take over the world at his time in the 4th century BC. He conquered to rule. He conquered to oppress. First it was Persia, and then he gained this insatiable desire as you read about him throughout history, that seeped in that the world was his oyster to conquer. And he began to conquer kingdoms and countries. And we see it happen over and over again. Conquering was, was cruel. His conquering was cruel, cruel and there was no end in sight. He was unrelenting in how he pursued to conquer more and more and more. He, says, he said this, he said, there are so many worlds and I have not conquered even one. He had this insatiable desire to conquer, to rule, to reign. And how he did it was by the shedding of others' blood to conquer. And this is how the kingdom of this world works. This is how the kingdom of this world conquers. We, we conquer through power. It's not a they thing. We conquer through power. We conquer through force. This is there's no exception, whether it's Babylon or Russia or America. The kingdom of this world conquers through force. It's just how the kingdom of this world conquers. And in so many ways, it's, it's a human reality. It's the result of sin. So Jesus echoes the sentiment, processing how the kingdom of this world is polarizing to his kingdom. In Luke chapter 22, he says this. He said, then the kings of the Gentiles exercise Lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, when it reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves." We live in this kingdom of this world, and in some ways it's kind of just the reality of it. But in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, we are reminded of how Jesus, the King, is nothing like the kingdoms and kings of this world. We're in a teaching series going through the Gospel of John, and we've uh, found ourselves in John 12 and 13 in this Advent season. Last week, Sam talked about Mary and the anointing and the worship that came there and greed that he talked about with Judas. And this week we're going to talk about the second half of John 12 and how we can pull from this text some significant Advent themes. So we're going to be in John chapter 12 this morning. A text that might have never been read on an Advent, but that's okay. We're doing it today. John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. This typically is read right before Easter. That'll come. Here we are. John 12, 12, it says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. We'll pause there. So it says that there's this large crowd or great crowd that exists in this moment. The historian uh, Josephus mentions that in AD 66 through 70, there was roughly 2.7 million people that came to this feast at this time. So Jesus was met on the road from Bethany, 
where he just was, by pilgrims who had arrived in Jerusalem. So this crowd begins to gather around Jesus, this crowd that had heard about Jesus and his miracles, who had heard about Lazarus and him rising from the dead. They had heard about the whispers that maybe this one was actually the Christ. Maybe he was actually the anointed one. Maybe he was actually the Messiah. In this instance, it may well have been signaled like there was some nationalistic hope the messianic liberator had come to remove the oppression of Rome. And so they gathered in a sense to create a procession of the Christ who had come, daring to believe that he would overthrow the Roman Empire and become king in that moment. So they used this great halal, this Jewish statement from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 that culminates. And it says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is in Psalm 118. And so they say this statement about Jesus. They call him Hosanna. Hosanna is the Hebrew translation of uh, give salvation now. Messiah, would you give salvation now? And they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, the welcome and the blessing are pronouncements of this Davidic king who had come. Blessed is the king of Israel, the Christ, the Messiah. See, a king was promised. A king, unto us a child would be born, a son would be given, and the government would be upon his shoulders. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, upon his rulership, there would be no end. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, is what we read throughout the Advent season. But a king, again, was promised the governments would be on his shoulders. He would reign forevermore. See, when God sends the king of Israel, he will be the Lord of the world. The people thought, this is he. So they lay out the palm branches and they create this processional the following themes that we read, we're going to find two things. We're going to meet the king, and we're going to meet how he becomes king. The first is we're going to meet the king in verse 13. Verse 14, it says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. He's quoting Zechariah. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So we meet the king here, and the king is writing something that is so significant to the uniqueness of his kingdom in opposition to the kingdom of this world. He's writing a young donkey. This donkey communicates so much about who this king is. He's not one who enters Jerusalem on a war horse. This would have whipped the political aspirations of the vast crowd into an insurrectionistic frenzy. This isn't how he rules. Again, John quotes Zechariah 
chapter 9. I'd love to read that to you. It matters to what John's trying to communicate to us. In John chapter 9, verse 9, he says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, and O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then you fast forward to verse 14, it says, Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet, and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they, will, they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and we will be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord, their God, will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Green shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. So we see this picture that John's pulling from. And he says the the coming of the gentle king is associated with the removal of war. The coming of the gentle king is associated with the proclamation of shalom or peace. The coming of the gentle king is associated with the, the blood of God's covenant that spe- uh, spells release for, for prisoners. See, the king will come on a young donkey. And then he says this phrase that, that John quotes. He says, fear not, your king is coming. See, one of the great statements through the Advent season is this phrase, fear not. It is baked in throughout the story. It's baked into Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who encounters this angel, and and the angel says to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, fear not. It's baked into the story with Mary when she encounters the the angel Gabriel, and he says, you're going to be with child, and he says before anything else, fear not. We hear of the story of Joseph when he's concerned that his wife, his wife-to-be is seemed to have had an affair and seems to be pregnant with a child that is not his, and he encounters this angel in a dream, and the angel says, fear not. We hear the story of these blue-collar third shifters that are out taking care of sheep. They encountered this multitude of angels, and what do they say? Fear not. This theme of fear not is throughout the story of the first advents. It's his invitation to trust him. Fear not, your king is coming. Trust him, to trust his ways, to trust his gentle character, to trust his power. Oh, friends, this king can be trusted. To the great crowd, they, they, like us, understand. They don't understand his ways. They wanted him to invade. They wanted him to rule. They had no idea that his mission was so much greater than the mission that they thought that he should pursue. He had a greater enemy to defeat. He wasn't conquering like Alexander the Great. He had greater emperors and greater rulers and greater dominions to conquer than the ones of Alexander the Great. He had a mission to dethrone all the powers of darkness and to destroy the works of the devil. He says, fear not, I am on the move and I can be trusted. So Jesus is a king and he's riding on a donkey. So the question then comes, how will this king bring about his rule? And we read that in John 12, 23 and following. It says this, And Jesus answered them, The hour 
has come for the Son to be Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will, my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It continues, now is my soul troubled. Again, we're talking about mere uh, dozens of hours before Jesus' death. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it. Again, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Can we read the story and we're reminded that Jesus is nothing like Alexander the Great. This is when it gets complex because the way in which Jesus is installed as king is just so ridiculously contrary to anything we know about conquering. Anything we've ever seen about empires and rulers conquering, what Jesus is doing is the exact opposite. See, historically, like Alexander the Great, kingdoms have always been established through the shedding of blood. The blood of the one who sought to rule over. Whether it's in Daniel's day, we have Israel captured by Babylon from the ruler Nebuchadnezzar, which led to the Babylonian captivity. Or as recent as Hamas invading Gaza, or as recent as Russia invading Ukraine. Lives are killed to gain or regain power. That's the kingdom of this world. It's always been this way. And Jesus comes and he shocks the system. He does something that no one would ever dream that anyone would do. So this king, like all kings, he sheds blood to gain his kingdom, but not as the world does. Jesus says, on the contrary, my hour has come. See, the hour of this king is not the death of another. The hour of this king is the death of himself. What's different from every other kingdom and the kingdom of Jesus is that he does not conquer through the shedding of somebody else's blood. He conquers by the shedding of his own blood. See, the hour in this moment and going forward is the hour of his death. A greater kingdom needed to be beseeched before Jesus could rule, before he could take the keys. He must conquer the dominion of darkness. And the dominion of darkness could only be conquered by the sacrifice and death of himself. 
And he came to conquer as king in that way. And Colossians 3, it's not going to be on the screen, uh, Colossians 2, but it says this. It says that this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So he triumphed. The king triumphed over the domain of darkness who had rule over this world, not by killing them first, but by killing himself that he would have power over them. It's not through war. It's not through violence. His power is used not through taking of another's life, but through giving of his own life. This is how he takes the keys of death back. He didn't ride a war horse. He rode a humble donkey. See, the way of the kingdom of Jesus is that death begets life always. Jesus repeats this language. He says, unless a a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, nothing happens. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He's pointing to the reality of in his death, life would come. See, in his kingdom, the goal isn't to hoard and to protect your life, but to give your life away. It's the way of Jesus. As the king and as the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. And as we follow him, we're no different. We're not distinct from our master. We are identical to our master. He says, fear not, your king is coming. See, when we cling to Jesus, the king, we know everything eventually will be okay. Oh, friends, in this Advent season, we are invited to trust the one who came, the one who conquered, and he conquered by laying down his life. See, our dilemma is this. We have rival kings. We have internal kings. We have all kinds of kings that rival with his rulership, we, who seek to sabotage Jesus' rulership in our lives. In the spirit of Advent, we, we find a story that Sam mentioned last week, the story of the Magi, who come, these wild dudes from the east, who come and encounter this child, and they worship him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. But what's interesting within that story is that there is a king who wants to destroy Jesus. He's threatened by Jesus. His name is Herod. And he hears word about this king who had come and his objective was to do whatever he could to kill that king because again, in the kingdom of this world, how you conquer is through killing another. Like any king who threatened, was threatened by another king, Herod sought to kill Jesus. And, and Tim Keller considers that we all have what he calls little King Herods inside of each one of us who want to sabotage Jesus' kingship in our lives, who are threatened and, and, and seeking to make sure we compromise and not allow Jesus to be king in our lives. We remember that statement, fear not, your king is coming. That statement, fear not, your king is coming, this is a disturbing statement to the human heart because we desperately want to rule our own lives. We desperately want to be on the throne of our lives. And when we hear the phrase, fear not, your king is coming, we're reminded that we are not the king he is. Herod felt it, and we can feel it. At the core, we hate the statement, fear not, your king is coming. 
because it removes the reality that we are not in control of our lives. See, friends, in the Advent season, we remember there is a king, and his name is Jesus. There's a king, and we are not him. There is a king who is nothing like the kings of this world. There is a king who gave his life for us. There is a king who doesn't lead with shame. There is a king who is kind in our mistakes. There is a king who rules with humility and wisdom. There's a king who has the power to fix our own broken life and pain. There is a king, and we are not him. Because Christ was born, we've lost the right to be in charge of our lives. He is the king of your life. He is the king of your marriage. He is the king of your finances. He is the king of your family. He is the king of your time. He is the king of your investments. He is the king of of the hidden parts of your life. Jesus is king. And though we've been rescued, and though we've been adopted, we have these inner Herods that seek to compete with Jesus as king. Tim Keller said this. He said, there's a little king Herod inside of you. It means you have got to be far more intentional about Christian growth, about prayer, and about accountability to other people to overcome your bad habits. You can't just glide through the Christian life there's still something in you that fights it. We all have these inner King Herods, and Jesus invites us to rule our life. In a short article called Equality, C.S. Lewis writes about how he values and sees the benefit of democracy. Because we are all sinners, therefore we need checks and balances, he talks about. So democracy is helpful for society because he believes in the brokenness of the human heart. He says democracy creates checks and balances to help guide a society to flourish. He goes on to say, though, that democracy is only medicine, medicine for what ails us. It is not food, he says. He says the ultimate reality is not democracy because you and I were made to be ruled says, you and I were designed to be ruled. See, if you don't acknowledge Jesus as king, you will serve somebody else. You will bow the knee to someone or something. The human nature will, is designed to serve something or someone else. And if it doesn't get food, it will gobble poison. And his argument is that in ultimate reality, you were made to have Jesus as your king. In this Advent story, we are invited to fear not. Your king is coming to trust him, to obey him, to serve him, to treat him as a king, to humbly trust what he sends in your life, whether you understand it or not. Don't say Jesus is your king, but you find your self-worth in work. Jesus would not be your king if you're seeking to find your worth in what you do, because your work is now your king. We're invited to make Jesus your king. In prayer, treat him like a king. John Newton says this. He says, Thou art coming to a king in prayer. Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. And we're invited to approach him as king to see him as the one who is the everlasting God who will reign and rule and we wait 
for his second coming. We look back at his first and we remember and we wait for his second. Friends, there is a king. This king gave his life to rule. And the response to this king is to trust him. The king who rode on a donkey is the king who will reign and rule forever. The king conquered not through conquering, but through his own death. Now he's enthroned. He will come again. He will bring justice and vengeance. Sin will be dealt with. Sadness will be done away with. So how do we participate in him as king? We're invited, as John's trying to do over and over again, to believe and to trust and to more deeply cling to him with all of our life. We might not understand why the junk came our way, why the the situations that came our way, but we can trust that he will guide us through, that he is carrying us. We will find next week that he is so humble that he serves us in his foot washing moments, but we know that he can be trusted. So we either trust something or we can trust Jesus. We can either trust the King Herod's, little King Herod's inside of us, or we can trust in Jesus. Fear not, your king is coming. As we close, I want to read Mary's response to the moment when she encounters that Jesus will be king and she will give birth to him. I close with this in Luke Luke chapter one, verse 46 and following. It says this, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Friends, your king, my king, has come, riding on a donkey, conquering with the shedding of his own blood, that you could be adopted and loved forevermore. This is the story of King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we feel the pulls of these little Herods within us, I pray you'd help us to trust you with our lives. Lord, for some of my friends who are going through the valley of the shadow of death, I thank you that you are with us, that your rod and your staff comfort. Lord, would you help my friends in the valley of the shadow of death for those and help them to know that you're with them and that you're ruling and you care for them. For those who are in that posture of flourishment and much, help them to know that you rule. Help them to know that those things aren't worth being trusted Lord, help us as a community to trust you with our lives. Fear not, your king is coming. We give you thanks. Amen.